friends, the tide is turning. Something is happening. We'll tell you more on the broadcast today. And the phone lines are open. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. So earlier today, I I saw a post on my personal Facebook page from one of my old friends from decades and decades ago, you know, from my childhood. And uh, I'm glad he's on my personal Facebook page interacting. But he posted this about the Born Alive Protection Act. It's a bill attempting to overturn abortion rights, which was passed 70 years ago, plain and simple. What's next? Overturn civil rights, women's rights, or the right to a free press? Nonsense. I responded with nonsense to that comment, but that's what some people believe. We're going to set the record straight today and, friends, bring you a word of encouragement. Here's the number to call, and I'm going to open the phone lines today uh, to make up for Friday when I was traveling and wasn't able to take your calls, 866 888-7884, as we do on Friday, any question of any kind whatsoever, anything at all that you want to ask me, Bible, theology, completely unrelated to the topics we're talking about, phone lines are open. So today would be a great day to call. Often Friday is tough to get through. 866-34-TRUTH is the number to call. So, Is there any truth to this notion that the Born Alive Protection Act, which Democrats universally voted against, which all six Democrat presidential candidates voted against, which independent Bernie Sanders voted against, is it true that this was a bill that really had the goal of restricting so-called abortion rights The article that I wrote on this, all six Democratic presidential candidates vote for infanticide. I wrote it yesterday afternoon. We posted it. uh, I guess it went on the stream early evening. It's already been shared over 39,000 times just on one website. All right. Is there any truth to the idea that, in fact... This is really an attack on abortion. No, it is an exposing of how radical the pro-abortion side can be. It is exposing how the pro-abortion side ultimately supports infanticide in certain cases. That is the fact. Now, my old friend made reference to, quote, abortion rights being passed 70 years ago. So he's thinking 73. That's why he said 70 years ago. So it's not 70 years ago. It's 46 years ago. But put that aside, that's still horrific. To compare, quote, abortion rights to civil rights or women's rights or the right to a free press. Uh, By the way, friends, not sure what's happening, but I have sound in the background as if something else is playing through our system here. So if anyone else is hearing that, not sure what's going on, but it sounds like suddenly we are in a plane. And uh, (laughs) so, guys... uh, Anyone can tell me what's what's happening here, but it's 
loud and clear in my ear. I'm not sure if you're hearing it on the air. If, if you are, I, I apologize. If it's just in my ear, let's land this plane because something is playing here. Not sure what. But anyway, here's what happens. In some cases, babies survive abortion. Some of them are late term. Some of them are viable outside the womb. All right. And the deal is that this bill simply says if they survive abortion, then you have to provide them with health care. If they have to be brought to a hospital or if there needs to be immediate care for them, that you cannot simply let them die or we're still actively kill them. I mean, either is horrific. Just let the baby die, throw it in a bucket somewhere or uh, either either way. It is utterly and completely horrific. Uh, President Trump used the word execute. You say, well, that's overdone. Well, Kermit Gosnell executed babies that survived abortion. He executed them in the womb. He executed them outside the womb. All the same to him. Ultimately, he was doing women a service. Yeah. What what a perversion. And from what I understand, still in jail, thinks he, he did the right thing, thinks he did good. But whether you simply let the baby die, don't provide the care that it needs, and the bill said the equivalent care for a baby of that gestational age. So if a baby was born at seven months or eight months or nine months that survived an abortion, whatever the appropriate care would be for that child, that's what you must give to the baby that survives abortion. It's that simple. Now, there's a New York Times article that addresses this. And it says that President Trump was wrong. New York Times says President Trump was wrong to use the word execute. Well, again, even if the word is disturbing to some, if you let the baby die by not giving it adequate health care, or if you terminate it outside the womb, that's executing. Letting it die or terminating it is executing it one way or the other by not giving it the care. And, and the New York Times article seeks to say, well, you know... Actually, it's very rare that a baby survives and like term. Who, care, who cares about numbers? What, when did numbers become the issue here? When in the world did numbers become the issue? Okay. Infanticide is wrong only if it's at least a million babies. Infanticide is wrong only if it's at least a thousand. No, infanticide is wrong if it's one. So, so here's the good news. Here's the good news. The tide is turning. I mentioned yesterday in the broadcast that there was a sudden, dramatic, unprecedented shift of 17% in polling on abortion in America as a result of the Democrats' extreme abortion laws that have passed and statements supporting infanticide, all right? So in, in point of fact, in point of fact, this is something unprecedented. And as as the left gets further to the left, gets more and more radical, what's going to come out of that, friends, is that eyes are going to be open. Whatever the sound was, it just stopped. So I'm just telling our studio guys, whatever's going on, if something just changed, hopefully you know what that is. All right. But and if we were flying and the building just landed, I'm glad we landed. But. I, yesterday, before my night class, was watching the Unplanned movie, the movie about Abby Johnson. I wrote about it, an uh, article yesterday. You can read it at org. Rated R because of, quote, disturbing images. 
uh, I thought, okay, it, it's going to be well into the video before any disturbing images come up. That was just my expectation. I didn't know how exactly the, the movie unfolds. I was given a code for an advanced screening to watch online. So I was told Nancy, hey, I'm just going to sit by my computer in my office and um, have my salad before I go out to teach tonight, and I'm going to watch this movie. I thought, watch the beginning of it. Well, I uh, was caught off guard with what happened when it happened in the movie and completely lost it. I mean, sobbing, sobbing uncontrollably as I sat there at my computer. I, I, I just paused right there. Remember, this is going to open in 800 theaters. I'm talking about people are going to be screaming in movie theaters. Just uh, nothing, nothing gory, nothing exaggerated. Just, just showing a little bit background ultrasound during a routine abortion procedure. This happens hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times every, every week. And, uh, I was completely overcome and I, I just paused what I was watching and, and uh, composed myself for about 15 minutes. And then I, I went to talk to Nancy, but bef and she didn't realize I was watching the movie at that point. So before I could really manage to talk and get clear words out, I said, I've got to compose myself. Well, I barely said that I stopped right in my tracks and started sobbing and, uh, I scared her, of course. I mean, what are you going to think? What, what happened? Who died? Finally, I was able to compose myself, tell her what happened, and then went from there to teach my night class. Began to share with my night class, which is on prophets and prophetic ministry. And I was teaching last week about sharing God's pain and having a prophetic heart where our heart beats with God's heart. And as I was sharing this, sharing about abortion, sharing about the unplanned movie, one of the students said, you know, Dr. Brown, I'm really feeling the burden to pray now. I said, yeah, we're going to pray shortly. I just want to share a little bit more, and then we're going to pray. I read a little bit more from a quote about God's heart, and next thing, oh, 20 or so students in, in our class, they just began to pray, and next thing, it turned to weeping and wailing and crying out. I mean, we were overwhelmed with the reality of abortion and the lives broken by it and God's grief over it and the judgment that hangs over a nation and the massive urgent need for repentance and God's willingness to for, forgive as we turn to him. Although on a national level, you just wonder what can undo the damage that's been done. But friends, stuff is happening. People move mobilizing for pro-life like I've never seen in my lifetime. In my lifetime, I've never seen a mobilization like this. States like New York, pastors, leaders awakening and saying, we have to get the truth out. We have to take action. We have to stand for life. And, and now with this movie coming out March 29th, unplanned, a bunch of other things happened. Friends, something is going on. Please give yourself to pray that God would turn the hearts of America. I have a book coming out in August, Jezebel's War with America. It can be pre-ordered online now. It may be the most intense book I've ever written in my life, but I paint a picture of how abortion ties in with the ancient idolatrous sin of child sacrifice and tie it in with many other things happening in our country today. So friends, the hour's urgent, but God's moving. People have been fasting and praying and crying out for years. Faithful workers have been sharing the gospel compassionately in front of abortion clinics for years, pregnancy life centers reaching out 
adoption movements, reaching out, Christians praying, repenting, seeking the face of God. Uh, all too few have been involved, but I, I want to honor and commend those who have been on the front lines of the pro-life movement tirelessly for many years at great personal cost. The tide is turning. Something is happening. Now is the time to pray because, mark my words, friends, you don't have to be a prophet to know this. The reaction against this pro-life surge is going to be like nothing you have ever seen. You want to talk about something satanic and evil? You're going to see it. You're going to see it. All right, friends, we'll be right back. I'm going to go straight to your calls. 866-348-7884. All subjects welcome. Phone lines are open. We'll be right back. Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Uh, Dan on Facebook, sir, you're very welcome. Standing for children is the least that I and we can do. Look, God's called me to be a voice. He's gifted me to be a voice. So I can do that through writing. I can do that through radio, video, and other means. So I'm, I'm active in pro-life in other ways and working with leaders in other ways, but this is something I can do. Maybe you can't write articles the way I do. Maybe you don't have a, a national radio show or a, a YouTube channel, but you can get involved in a hundred different ways for pro-life. You can pray, you can support pro-life organizations. You can volunteer at pregnancy crisis centers. You can work with ministries that are sharing the gospel in front of abortion clinics. You can talk to your children you can you can make comments on social media. You can consider adoption or I mean, there's there's so many things. Obviously, adoption is, is major, but there's so many things that each of us could do. And if we would if we would just mobilize one tenth of the church of America, the tide would turn even more dramatically than it is now. But something's happening. I was talking to a friend who's been a pro-life leader for probably 40 years plus. And he said, Mike, I've never seen anything like this right now either. Something's going on. On the flip side, things could shift so dramatically with an election cycle going in the wrong direction that, as some said, decades of pro-life work could be undone overnight. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to Monty in Iowa. You are first up today on the line of fire. Thank you, Dr. Brown. We appreciate your ministry. Two comments. Uh, one, it was interesting how you made the comment about how they think it's just a small number that are born alive, but yet that's the same argument they use against us when we talk about abortion, and then all of a sudden they bring up rape and incest and things like that. So once again, yeah. I always think about your comment about how hypocritical both sides are. The second comment is that Glenn Beck once wrote a book called The Overton Window, and it was one of the most insightful things I think I ever saw. It basically explains how certain groups, and of course the group are the liberals in this case, will push, push, push their agenda. And then when they get too much backlash, they back off just a little bit. And they wait a little bit. Then they push, 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 back off. And they keep doing that until all of a sudden they're so close to what's called the Overton window 
then they just jam it down your throat. And that's almost as if what they are doing now. And we need to realize that even what a lot of people think is a small issue, somewhere we got to draw a definite line and say enough is enough. Yeah, so, so Monty, I, I, haven't, I haven't read that book, but let's apply it here and, and talk about what we need to do. Once people recognize the evil of where the left is going on abortion, even justifying infanticide. And, and there are people that, quote, make the moral argument for it. You know, after all, the baby's born in severe pain, severe handicap. It would be hundreds of thousands of dollars of surgeries and treatment. And maybe you preserve the baby's life for three months. And what kind of life is it? And just let the child die. I mean, you have these, quote, moral arguments. So overwhelmingly, I mean, it's got to be the vast, 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 vast majority of, of Americans would reject that. Then you say, OK, what's the difference between doing that uh, a day outside the womb and two weeks earlier inside the womb? Once you can get them to recognize the personhood of the unborn child, the development right. of the unborn child, just in the unplanned movie, what changed Abby Johnson's life was what she she participated as, as a clinic director, 22,000 abortions. In other words, done the paperwork or met with the patients or whatever, but had never gone in the back to be part of one. So now watching the ultrasound of what just happened, uh, and this is a baby that's small enough to be sucked out of, of the womb, uh, just seeing that was devastating. Look, what, what, what uh, Focus on the Family is doing uh, Jim Daly and Focus on the Family, what is it, May 4th in Times Square? Lighting up Times Square with ultrasound images. Yeah, not just just this. These are babies. These are children in the womb. Uh, this is all unprecedented stuff that's taking place. Uh, yeah, so we can't let it be, oh, okay, well, well, we'll we'll agree that infanticide is wrong, but we want the right to abort right up to the ninth month. No, no, let's push it in the opposite direction. Thank you, sir, for the call. 866-34-TRUTH. Uh, let's go to Jerome in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Welcome to the line of fire. Yes, Dr. Brown. First of all, let me say thank you for your ministry. You do a, a wonderful job. I listen to you quite frequently. But I do a jail ministry in, uh, in, in uh, Lexington, North Carolina, and a couple of the guys have asked me some questions that I don't have the answer to. Um, and and I'm not really into a whole lot of this, but I'm just going to ask you the question. Then you, I'm sure you can answer these questions because I told them I was going to call you because you have these answers. Uh, they ask about the red half of being born. Is that? Mm -hmm. And then it says uh, they ask me, has the temple been rebuilt? And then how does this relate to the end times? All of these three things. Yes, sir. So, so it's it's so it, yes, yeah, so interesting that there they are. Uh, incarcerated and yet still aware of these issues and, and prophecy things that many people in the land of Israel are not even thinking about. So that, that is, that's very uh, interesting. And thank you, sir, for the kind words, much appreciated and bless you for the ministry you're doing. What a, what an important ministry and what a right ministry. Cause I, I guess most of the guys you're dealing with, you don't have to convince them that they're sinners in need, right? They recognize that. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So, uh, num number one, uh, let's just understand what this is about. In the book of, in the book of Numbers, okay. uh, there was a ritual of the red heifer. And okay. what, what took place was 
this this animal had to be uh, without blemish and then so this is you know red red cow and it would be killed and then it, it its ashes burned and then that would be mixed in to the waters of purification so that's in numbers chapter 19 all right okay. so okay. Uh, whenever an israelite would be ritually unclean let's say someone accidentally touched a dead body or something else that made them ritually unclean so mm-hmm. they they would be unclean till evening then they'd wash themselves and they would be sprinkled with the with this water and that would be for cleansing. So with the temple destroyed, the Jewish people in exile, there has not been the ability to do this. So in that sense, Jewish people are in a state of ritual impurity on a certain level regardless. But uh, the question is, will there be a third temple built uh, in Jerusalem before Jesus returns? Is that necessary for the fulfillment of prophecy and does that mean that there needs to be a red heifer found so it can be sacrificed and then its ashes uh, kept or mixed with this water for purification? All right. So first, I do believe scripturally that a third temple will be built before Jesus returns. It has not been built. There is no immediate way for it to be built because where it needs to be built is where the, the Muslim mosque is, the Dome of the Rock. And it's a sacred site to Islam. So barring some unforeseen circumstance, it's difficult to see how the temple could be rebuilt. But there uh, is an institute, the Temple Mount Institute, that has been preparing people for years now. A training, teaching all the rituals, uh, building all of the utensils, the uh, uh making the garments for the priests and all that. So they've basically got everything ready for a temple to be rebuilt. But how it would be rebuilt right now, big question mark. As for a red heifer without blemish, it was reported a few months back that one had been born because they're always looking and inspecting, etc. And, you know, and, and then it has to grow without having a blemish. So does, it just means that there's a possibility of doing things that there wasn't a possibility to do before. But does that mean Jesus is coming in a year versus a hundred years? No, we, we simply don't know. In other words, the, these things are not clear enough to give us a time frame indication, but at least it's more possible now than it was a generation ago or two generations ago when the Jewish people did not even control the land of Israel and the city of Jerusalem. So we're getting closer in terms of things more possible but in terms of setting dates or saying X, Y, Z must happen or will happen. No, that's a big question mark. We make a mistake if we try to set dates. So I would encourage this man to say, this is fascinating and points to the possibility of a third temple being rebuilt, but it hasn't happened. And there's no way for it to happen immediately from what we can tell. Okay. Thank you very much. That's exactly what I needed. And, uh, because I try to um, answer the questions, you know, when they come up with questions and everything, yeah. so, so we can stay engaged and everything. So I do. Oh yeah. Well, we're we're here for you, sir. And if calling doesn't work out, if something comes out, just uh, email our website askdrbrown.org, and we have folks that are very happy to answer your questions or send them to me for answers. Okay. Okay. Thank you very much. All right. God bless you in your ministry. Eight six six three four truth. I've only preached 
or ministered in prison settings on a few occasions. I visited people in prison over the years, shared the gospel, met with believers that fell on hard times and somehow in prison. Uh, but I've only had the pleasure of doing prison ministry on a handful of occasions. And often the sincerity there is off the charts. Uh, yeah, the people are going to fake things. You have jailhouse conversions. But boy, I've, I've met with a lot of sincerity, a lot of passion, a lot of desperation. And uh, over the years, I've had people come through our ministry school that had been in jail and were out of jail and now were model citizens and as passionate and devoted to the gospel as anybody you'd ever meet. We'll be right back. More of your calls. Stay right here. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Friends, we are here to be a resource for you. We are here to be a help for you. We are here to put materials together in writing, on radio, on video, in book form, in other ways. Get them to however we can equip you, help you, strengthen you. That's why we're here. I don't have to work 40 hours a week, say, programming computers or teaching elementary school children or uh, not home, homeschooling little children and, and caring for those responsibilities. So, yeah, I, I spend plenty more than 40 hours a week doing ministry-related week uh, work. It could be 80 hours in a week for all I know. But uh, I have the time to devote to, to these things to be a resource for you. So allow us to serve you, friends. This is Michael Brown. Welcome to the Line of Fire broadcast. I've written several important, <coughs> excuse me, abortion-related articles in recent days. We have an important video from yesterday. So these are on our website, askdrbrown, askdrbrown.org. We post links on Facebook and Twitter. Are you, <coughs> excuse me, I'm sorry. Our YouTube channel, Ask Dr. Brown, A-S-K-D-R Brown as well. So be, uh, let us be a blessing to you. Subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't. Our subscription uh, uh, subscribers are rapidly increasing in recent days in response to videos. So sign up this way. As soon as the video goes live, you'll know about it. And this way you can share it with others as well. What we're doing today is opening the phone lines as we normally do on Friday, so you've got questions, we've got answers, 866-348-7884. Let's go to Daniel in Pennsylvania. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Hello, Dr. Brown. Hey. How are you? Doing very well, thank you. Good. I'm a student at the Reformation Bible College in Stanford, Florida, under R.C. Sproul's ministry, and in the past couple weeks, I have been listening and studying with a friend of mine the YouTube videos and material by Rabbi Tobias Singer. Mm -hmm. And I was able to actually have a Skype conversation with Rabbi Singer, and I just asked him some very 
simple questions about the things he was studying and the things he was saying. And I'm very perplexed. I'm very challenged. And I just wanted to know from your perspective as being a Messianic Jew, what would you, besides the fact that does not believe that Jesus is the Messiah, what do you see is the most glaring or contradictory thing that Rabbi Singer states or implies and teaches in his in his ministry of outreach Judaism? Well, every, every, everything. I, I debate it, Tovia Singer. You can listen to the debate uh, on our uh, website or on the YouTube channel. Just type in Michael Brown, Tovia Singer. Uh, we debated uh, over 25 years ago. He has steadfastly refused to ever debate me again. Uh, he is constantly, glaringly misrepresenting what the Scriptures say, misrepresenting Christian interpretation of the Scripture, uh, misinterpreting the Hebrew. Oh, it's on and on. It's almost endless. Uh, my my five-volume series, Answering Jewish Objections to Jesus, uh, treats many other rabbis and countermissionaries aside from Tovia Singer. Uh, on a personal level, just pray for his repentance. He's been witness to and heard the gospel over and over again. Uh, I shared with him before he cut me off uh, many years ago, uh, really shared the gospel with him and really prayed for him. Uh, so that's best just to leave him there to, to pray for him. Uh, and again, as I said, he's refused to deal with me under any circumstance, public or private, for well over 25 years now. He's... Uh, offered to debate at universities in different settings, and they said, great, uh, you'll be debating uh, Michael Brown. And he said, nope, won't do it, canceled out. So that's happened tragically over and over and over again. Uh, but in my five-volume series, Answering Jewish Objections to Jesus, uh, every major objection he raises, we demolish with scripture, with fact, with scholarship. Uh, tonight, in fact, on the Real Messiah broadcast, which is our Jewish outreach show that airs in New York City. But we have a live feed, so you can watch it on Facebook or YouTube. That's Ask Dr. Brown, ASKDR Brown on Facebook or YouTube. Uh, that'll be 9 to 10 Eastern Standard. I'm actually going to demolish some positions he's taken recently on a video about Daniel 9 and Psalm 22. But it's so glaring. I mean, we actually debated twice in the early 90s and one privately, one publicly. And as I said, he cut me off and has refused to ever debate uh, again, which, which should tell you something. And I, I give the details behind that on our website, uh, our YouTube channel as well. But, I mean, give me one example of anything that perplex you. I'm very happy to help you. This stuff, as I said, has been demolished long, long ago in many, many different ways. But if it's new to you, I'm very happy to, to help sort it out. So feel free to... Give me an example of something that's troubled you. Well, I'd say the main thing that perplexes me is his claims of the Tanakh being the only inspired Word of God, and the New Testament having no credibility, and the corruptions within the, the New Testament from the quotations of the Old Testament in their context. So that's that's just one thing that always... Whenever I hear him talk about there's there's text. Oh yeah, that so that's easily yeah. Well, first, as as a traditional Jew, he's going to reject the New Testament, uh, obviously. Sure. You know, and Christian's right. going to reject the Quran, and and an atheist's going to reject the Hebrew Bible. You know, uh, so people are going to reject based on their viewpoints. But uh, number one, there are far more uh, textual issues, problems of interpretation within the Old Testament than within the New Testament text, and he's fully aware of that. 
I wrote an article, 1991, called Unequal Weights and Measures, where I, I showed how the counter-missionaries would use one methodology when dealing with apparent contradictions and textual issues in the Old Testament, and a totally different one when it came to the New Testament. So systematic textual criticism and evaluating of manuscripts and looking at various versions, uh, you have far less problems to deal with in the New Testament than in the Old, but with good scientific method methodology, you can come up with answers for most of the apparent contradictions and problems. As far as historical references that seem questionable, uh, far, 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 far more with the Old Testament than the New. Again, you've got to do good scholarship on it and see if there are answers to what the critics and non-believers say. As far as New Testament interpretation of the Old Testament, it's, it's wonderfully rich, beautiful. Uh, all you have to do is dig a little to understand what the New Testament authors were doing. I, I deal with this in depth in volume four of my series, Answering Jewish Objections to Jesus. And by the way, we have a video series that deals with all these issues that's free on our YouTube channel as well, Answering Jewish Objections to Jesus. So just look for the relevant objections, click on them, and you can watch all these positions not just being answered, but being demolished because we're on the side of truth. But New Testament authors often used a homiletical interpretation that was very common in rabbinic Judaism that we see in the, the later documents of, of, the, of the Talmud and Midrash. And many times, because New Testament authors were Jewish, they used similar methods of interpretation, plays on words and homiletical interpretation. But where they literally quote the literal fulfillment of the Hebrew Bible, it's exactly as they say. And that's why after his resurrection, Jesus opened the minds of his disciples to understand what, what was written in the Hebrew Bible. He didn't come with some new external revelation. He showed them that everything that had to happen about him would happen. And it was all written in advance. So there is such an abundance, such a wealth of material answering these objections that can put your heart at rest for a, a million years to come because we're on the side of truth. I'd encourage you just to focus in on one or two, get the answers to them, and then pray for Rabbi Singer's repentance and leave him to the Lord. Mm -hmm. um, and like I said, tonight I'll be dealing with a few specifics, playing some clips from one of his videos and showing where, I mean, it's, it's, it's embarrassingly wrong. I mean, embarrassingly factually wrong. I, I, I mean, embarrassing in terms of Hebrew errors and things like that, Re really shocking. So we'll, we'll expose that. But again, my, my, my books deal with this. If you simply want to look at rev relevant videos again on our YouTube channel, Ask KDR Brown, Ask Dr. Brown, just look up the Answering Jewish Objections to Jesus series and just scroll through it until you find the New Testament objections or Messianic prophecy objections. And you'll see how we deal with all those things in great depth, using scripture, using good scholarship. And you can rest assured, there's a reason we believe what we believe there's a reason that the faith in Jesus has stood this long. And as Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. There's a reason people are willing to die for the gospel around the world today. It's because we're not following myths and fables. We're following truth. Okay, very good. Well, thank you for your help. You are, you are very welcome, sir. Again, facts, information, truth. Don't be misled by arguments that seem persuasive on the surface, but the moment you poke them, they burst. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go over to California. David, this is David I ran into over the weekend, right? 
Yes, sir. All right. Got that from my call screener because a lot of Davids in California otherwise. Okay. Welcome, <laughs> yeah, welcome to the show. Yeah. Yes, sir. Thank you so much, Dr. Brown, for taking my call. And it was great uh, great talking to you over the weekend. Just wanted to thank you in agreement with everyone else that's called in so far. Thank you for your ministry and all that you've done, especially with uh, the topic that you brought up today about abortion. Like You've definitely opened up my eyes to the importance and significance of us as a body to stand up and actually speak out. So thank you. You are very welcome, sir. Alrighty, so get to the question. Um, so it's kind of relating to the question I'd asked over the weekend regarding the the separation law, or I guess um, consecrating laws given to ancient Israel. Yeah. And uh, this one, it's in alignment with the same friend that I was telling you about. That's kind of like arguing for us holding to, I guess, the law as best as we can nowadays as uh, Gentile believers and yada yada. Um, but he was going back to Genesis 4-3 to, to argue for the Sabbath being um, given before Moses by saying that Cain and Abel came on at the end of days to give their sacrifices. You're familiar uh, with the custom, sir? Uh, yikes. You, you talk about feudal. You talk to any yeah. Hebrew scholar on the planet, it just means after, after a while. That's all. It does not mean at the end of the week. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much what just, to go for. No, no, no. Look at a thousand translations. Not, not even a chance of a chance. It's, it's after a while, over, over a period of time. That's, that's all it is. Wow. Talk about someone going out on a limb and falling off. Yeah. Anyway, thanks for the call, David. God bless you. We'll be right back. It's The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Friends, if we are a blessing to you, if we are a help to you, if we have succeeded in being a resource for you, stand with us. I'm able to devote a lot of hours to the work of ministry, of course, travel around the world, but it's my joy to throw myself in to do it. Our team uh, works sacrificially for the gospel and to serve you and to reach out to a dying world, uh, to go to the nations, to reach the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and to help spark a gospel-based moral and cultural revolution in America. If we're a blessing to you, would you stand with us? Would you help us? Would you become a monthly supporter or help us with a one-time gift we do this together. Come on. It's a joint effort. We all sacrifice together to get to the goal. Go to AskDrBrown, ASKDRBrown.org to make a one-time donation. Click there to become a monthly torchbearer. First, read all of the things that we pour into, all of the benefits that we send back to you in appreciation for your support. And then if you can, support us as a torchbearer, monthly supporter. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to Laura in Raleigh. Thanks for holding. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Hi, uh, and thank you for what you do. Um, uh, my heart breaks and is breaking for the mass slaughter of these innocent babies. Um, but a more of a statement than a question, but, you know, I thought of it. You know, what what's to stop them in, a, I don't know, a few years down the line to where when you're an older person, you know, 
you're you're no good to anybody, and they and they uh, you know decide to take older lives, you know, in some yeah, fashion. Exactly. So I'm Melissa just typing. Sapa. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm I'm typing in uh, euthanasia in in Holland. Okay. Oh and, wow. Yeah. So so here's a report, CBS News, August third, two thousand seventeen. Okay. Uh, euthanasia deaths becoming common in Netherlands. So this is CBS reporting this. Euthanasia has become a common way to die in the Netherlands, accounting for 4.5% of deaths. According to researchers who say requests are increasing from people who aren't terminally ill. So, and this is just CBS News catching up on this. And in in, in point of fact, it's been documented now that doctors have said in thousands of cases, Laura, that they made an independent decision. You know, the, the baby, the quality of life would be such wasn't, it wasn't the best interest to keep the baby alive. And, Oh, so sorry. We lost the child and they actively euthanized it or someone, you know, 94 years old, maybe with Alzheimer's, maybe with incurable cancer exactly. and lots of lots of pain. Doctors have made the decision to terminate the life of the patient. And look, even if you could make a case for, look, the person's beyond recovery, they're in agony, yeah, they're, they're not even conscious. You, know, you could make a case that sounds like it, it could be a little compelling. All you have to say is, well, who gets to draw the line? Who gets to make the decision? You even have people now who are completely healthy but suffering from depression who are right. asking to be euthanized and are and being I euthanized. Am. So it, yeah. it is, Laura, part of a culture of death. And and a lot of it springs directly from abortion. Just looking at a, a quote here, a doctors become more confident in practicing euthanasia and more patients will start asking for it. This is Penny Lewis, co-director of the Center of Medical Law and Ethics at King's College London. Without a more restrictive system like what you have in Oregon, you will naturally see an increase. So you open the door there, Laura, and in the name of compassion, you end up terminating lives. And it ends up being catastrophic. Catastrophic. And then we end up determining that we're going to play God. Look, I understand that in certain cases, we can go to means beyond extraordinary to preserve life. And it's the person's just existing in a vegetative state and, and we can do things that no other generation could do to quote, preserve life. And we have to discuss end of life decisions and things like that. That's completely different than what we're discussing. Hey, Laura, thank you for the call. You have every reason to raise this as a valid concern. Uh, <laughs> excuse me. Let's go to Kay in Aiken, North Carolina. Welcome to the line of fire. Hi, Dr. Brown. And thank you for taking my call. I'm actually in South Carolina. Couple oh, hours so, from you. You know what? Yes. They just assume when they put up Aiken that I knew and I blew it. I, I decided to say <laughs> no, North Carolina's taking a chance. That's okay. That's All okay. Right. I All appreciate right. your ministry very much, and I, I would you. like to tell you that at first. Um, in the topic that you're talking about today, uh, about this abortion and the infanticide and, and how they just voted on that, yeah. one thought that came to me, and I wanted to just kind of ask you what you thought about this and how this could play out. But the Lord reminded me about the two Hebrew midwives in Exodus 1. Could we pray for 
puas and shipras of our day to rise up? And how might that play out? What do you think about that? Yeah, so first, that is, in a sense, the, the worst case scenario to have to pray for that. Uh, looking at Exodus, the first chapter. So Shifra and Pua, these two God-fearing Hebrew midwives, and when Pharaoh said any boy that's born must be killed, thrown into the Nile, uh, instead they, they preserved the lives of the babies, all right? So uh, when you help the Hebrew women during childbirth, look at the sex. If it's a son, then kill him. But if it's a daughter, she may live. So kill the child. So yet the midwives feared God, so they did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the boys live. And then they lied about it, said, yeah, these Hebrew women, they're more vigorous than the Egyptian women. So as soon as, you know, by the time we get there, they've already delivered the baby. It's too late. So, yeah, the, the fact of the matter is, that it would be the worst case scenario that we have to pray for women like this who are actually preserving babies that doctors want to terminate or allow to die or nurses want to terminate or allow to die after birth. But yes, may they be raised up and may they end up then exposing the murderous nature of these abortion clinics and of these abortion doctors. Again, Kermit Gosnell would be the perfect example that right. and it, you know he he is then considered to be the most prolific serial killer in American history because of what he did aborting babies in the womb but then killing babies that made it outside the womb so may this right. turn the tide may may this contribute to people recognizing the horror of what they're doing i mentioned at the beginning of the show Kay, the the unplanned movie coming out march 29th yes. may god use yes. that to open many eyes. It's providential that it's all happening at the same time as Americans oh, yeah. are, re- are recoiling when it comes to infanticide. Now yeah. they're actually going to see, hey, abortion itself is, is a great evil that must be opposed. Yeah. So may hearts turn. Yeah, thank you, Kay. I'm with you on that. Uh, 866-34-TRUTH. We go over to New York. Chris, welcome to the line of fire. Hello, Dr. Hello. Brown. Um, hey, uh, I just want to start by saying thank you, of course, like everyone else from you. I've certainly learned a lot from your YouTube channels, um, from your YouTube channel, and from watching a lot of your debates. So thank, thank you. you for that. My joy. Thank you, sir. Um, all right, my question. Um, what is your take on some people like Bob Cornuke and Chuck Missler that say the temple was actually located in a different spot than the Temple Mount and that it was really the, the uh, Roman Fort Antonia? And I've seen videos talking about uh, the temple being located in the city of David, which I guess they've located. And I saw a video recently, which brought this back up uh, in my mind, showing how the temple was scripturally a certain direction from the tomb of David, and which apparently they have, So, uh, which is not uh, uh, the Temple Mount. Have you ever looked into this? And if so, uh, have you seen any of the scriptural or archaeological evidence for it? Yeah, I've, I've not seen any evidence for it, sir. And, and, and here are the problems that I have. I know that Bob Cornuke has been very serious about this and that, that Chuck Missler was a serious student of the Word. But when you have the world's leading archaeologists, the world's leading scholars in terms of, of ancient Jewish practice, the the best interpreters looking at this who would be happy to say the Temple Mount should be somewhere else. And remember, in, 
in the world of scholarship, coming up with something new is big. Like that's, that makes you somebody. You discovered something that nobody else discovered, etc. So in point of fact, um, when you have virtual total rejection of this position by virtually all the leading archaeologists, those that are working on the scene, on the ground there in Israel, where you see such resistance from the Palestinian Authority and Muslim leaders claiming there was never a second temple at all or it wasn't there. You know, when they're joining in, fighting against the current site, when Islam built the, the Dome of the Rock at a specific place for a specific purpose to show, you know, triumph and conquest, I, I see no evidence for this. And, and again, what you have to realize is that there's not some world conspiracy between Christian scholars, Jewish scholars, believing scholars, non-believing scholars about, you know, what's accepted, what's not accepted. Things are being debated constantly. And, and yes, city of David, you can visit that. You can visit the, the archeological site there and, uh, you know, go on tour around the city of David as, as our tour groups have done and things like that. But I, when people present evidence and like, look, this disproves it. And you've got, pretty much the entire academic world from all viewpoints, from atheist to Christian faith to Jewish faith, et cetera, agreeing that that information is not correct, that this is the right way to read it. You, you have to look at these other positions with a big, big, big grain of salt. So it's not, it's not my primary issue of focus, but I've seen no evidence to reevaluate the traditional site of the temple. Hey, friends. God bless Thirdly Jewish Thursday tomorrow. And don't miss Real Messiah tonight on YouTube and Facebook, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard.